The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Kia ora koutou katoa. Welcome to Business is Boring. Diverse organisations outperform, yet in Aotearoa, women make up only 10% of corporate CEOs and under 30% of board seats. Today's guests believe this represents the largest untapped potential to improve performance and results in NZ business. PowerSuit is a leadership playbook offering courses, podcasts and resources with a network of women all changing the face of the people in charge and with influence. Joining us to chat the mission are second time guests on the podcast, co-founders Kristen Lundman and Natalie Ferguson. Thank you for being here. Kia ora, Simon. Great to be here. Hey, so last time that we caught up with you two uh, was with Hatch. How did that go? Because you you <laughs> took it like right from the beginning, the idea, built it into a big old thing, big old corporate exit. Uh, re- really great journey. Can I just say, Simon, I was saying to Nat, this is a sign that we're doing a podcast at this stage in our parachute journey because... You launched Hatch for us. Business is boring. Right. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So was that the first time you were out there talking about it? Yep. That's so cool. So I was like, You're a lucky charm. You're a lucky charm. We've come full circle. Here we are again. Oh, let's just keep doing it. Please work your magic again. Thanks. I I was one of the early customers there because I loved it. It was such a cool thing that you did. So for anyone who hasn't been on that journey, tell us about, about that journey. Well, Hatch was epic. We started that six years ago and grew it to almost 200,000 customers, Kiwi, over four years. So pretty incredible growth, a lot of growing pains, a lot of incredible moments, highs and lows, the classic roller coaster, and had a blast. Like, I think we had an absolute blast. And I always say Kristen and my working relationship is by far the best I've ever had. So it was natural to want to keep working together. But yeah, we got acquired and a couple of things came out of that. Firstly was we realized that during this time of epic growth, we spent far too much time focused on the gender wealth gap because it was a passion. So it became very obvious to us that that was a real passion and through Hatch, amongst many other amazing cool things that happened, we reckon we figured out the ingredients that could change a woman's life effectively to go from really checking out from money, head in the sand, you could see them glazing over. It was a world that didn't work for them into these really confident, capable investors who'd taken control of their money. So that was just this really fun, almost side project for us. And and I think we kind of realized some of the tools like little actions, breaking things down, us two not looking like what your classic investors were, all that good stuff. So when, I mean, I can talk for ages about Hatch, but when when we were acquired and the new company, which was FNZ, um, huge, big, amazing 
global success story for a New Zealand company, um, that, that was now Hatch was theirs and their vision. So it was time for us to sort of think about our new, our new mission in life. What gets us out of bed again every day? Yeah, and so much of the brand and the community that made Hatch what it was, was you you two kind of jumping in and like chatting to people and sharing your stories and making it kind of normal and easy to understand and access. And yeah, and, 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 and such a great result uh, to have built something that empowered so many people to own shares, right? And to be able to access these markets that were so inaccessible before you essentially launched this ability for normal people in New Zealand, right? Yeah, well, like anything, it starts with this incredible, I suppose, passion of doing something different. And any startup founder will say, I just you know, had an urge to do something. And they're not looking at the end means other than making their mark on the world and changing people's behavior and bringing, I suppose, change um, in a very noisy world. And so I suppose that's the challenge. And so for us, it was really about delivering on how are we empowering people. I think before we started Hatch, there were less than 30% of Kiwi that- it was less than 20. Less than 20 that had invested. And by the time we exited, that had markedly, well, I suppose, doubled at that point. And so our, again, passion was to get people just chatting about money and demystifying this concept of wealth and that, in fact, it's not greedy to want to um, make money and um, grow you know, value of of assets over time and, and what we're, um, to, you know, to retire and live a life that we want, if that is quitting your job, if that's taking time out with your kids, if that's retiring early, you know, it doesn't have to mean big jets and fancy cars and whatnot. So I think we woke up for that. And that meant that we woke up to change people's lives, which meant we had to be connected very closely with people's lives. And as part of that journey was, oh, hang on a sec, women feel very differently about money which led us on on that other tangent. Yeah, and like the very practical thing as well of fractionalised access to shares, US company shares, wasn't really available to people before you launched and made that a thing. And now there are a number of services that have kind of followed on from that. But it was the first way that if someone loved Apple and wanted to own a part of it, they could get a part of a share or mm. Amazon. And that's so cool the way you connected the the companies to, to people as well, right? Yeah, well, that was that behavior change thing, wasn't it? It was like everyone knew brands and they loved and people identified and aligned with, I suppose, a brand or a company or its vision. And so if you could own a piece of that, you're able to bridge that gap between what investing was when really it's just owning a tiny slice of an organization that you care deeply about that you back to grow. And so we, you know, it's simply just bridging that gap. And tell us about that, the problem that you then have now focused on, right? That you got the germ of that out of uh, working to understand how different genders re- interacted with investing and, you know, whether people felt they belonged in that world, right? So interesting. Should I go on to the long story? I'll keep it short. Yeah, keep it short. <laughs> so when we left Hatch, we were thinking about what's next. And as you would have experienced as well, a bunch of opportunities present themselves to you. And one of the coolest ones was to launch a fund that only invested in companies that had a woman CEO. 
including a few other tiny, what we thought at the time, tiny factors like having decent diversity on the board and a decent level of capitalization. So a decent company valuation. So it was fairly financially stable. So for us, we knew that that would solve a couple of things. One, we knew part of what we knew about women is we invest in things we believe in. And that's a really nice introduction into investing. Secondly, uh, companies that are led by women tend to outperform. So it was probably a really good investment. So for us, that seemed like a really, really obvious next step. And then we started looking across all the share markets and all the world to find the number of companies we could add to our fund. And I don't know if everyone listening to this is aware, but there's thousands of companies listed across share markets around the world. And 156 met our criteria. Get out of here. So that was pretty appalling. <laughs> and we yeah. looked at each other and we were like, oh, wait, that is the problem to be solved. Right. Yeah. Across every every big market, yeah. every big index. That's, yeah. that's extraordinary. And yeah. we'd just come from this time of incredible change where we'd see the impact you can have by providing a different way of looking at things. And I loved your point before. We are the, we were the first to bring the US share markets to New Zealand, but you could look at it in another way. And there were already a ton of investing platforms available to Kiwi. However, they didn't solve the problem of addressing the underlying barriers, the real nuanced stuff that we think is sort of intangible, the myths, the beliefs, the psychology behind it. So for us, it was looking at that and going, we can address this in a totally different way. Like we know there's been a bunch of stuff that's happening around the world, but we've sort of discovered the secret source that gives us a little bit of an edge when it comes to addressing these massive cultural changes. And it's absolutely remarkable, isn't it, if there are so few companies that are already doing things in a good way. So if every other company is not particularly well put together right, like how do women thrive in organisations that are not diverse, just male leadership, and and aren't, you know, don't don't have their feet in the future. Well, every woman needs a playbook is um, effectively our motto, and that is basically to help them define a career on their terms. And so Nat and I have 20 years of navigating workplaces that are both male-dominated and not, and building businesses, and and have stepped in the shoes of, of female founders as well. So we feel like we have um, have a great deal of experience. We've got uh, the combination of a real passion to close this gender leadership gap, but equally have this, I, I remember saying to Nat, no one is solving this at scale. Like so many community meetups and incredible women, um, um, I suppose. Um, women lead initiatives. Yeah, initiatives and community um, grassroots organizations that are trying to do interesting stuff. But I'm like, our superpower is that we can take technology and actually solve this like we did to Hatch and bring something new and turn professional development on its head and deliver the playbook that women need. We love the idea of systemic change and actually having this top-down change and blowing up the structure of like a, a board that's just full of nothing but men and an executive team. However, it's going to take a long time to do that, and there's some great companies doing it. What would it look like if we were to go and effectively empower women at every level, right from that first rung on our career ladder where we slip behind um, men and that we are only, of every um, 10 men that are promoted into their first management position, only seven women are. So already at that first rung, there's an issue. So what if we were given a playbook to help us navigate the workplace as it stands today, navigate 
the um, everything from the politics to um, how we show up at work to really embracing our unique leadership identity and strengths um, to succeed effectively in our ter- our terms and what does that look like? So that's that's what Parasuit's doing. And so how do you go about, because this is, you know, a big old problem, right? How do you go about building something in the first instance that's going to get like tangible value happening that can then build to that bigger mission? What have you, what have you started with and what have you launched with? I mean, we've done, we've sort of taken our existing playbook and replicated it, which is, I think you pointed out before, we talk to people. We spent last year, last year was our first year at PowerSuit, and we probably interviewed well over a couple of hundred women. And we have, so we start with that and we sort of go, let's talk to you about your problems because it doesn't matter what we think they are. It really matters how they are being experienced by everyone and finding those themes. Then we launched the smallest thing we could launch, which was a podcast and newsletter and deliberately didn't put any marketing budget into them to see if the topics resonated, if people told each other about it. And when we started to see each week a jump in subscriber numbers as people were sharing the newsletter or the podcast, we started to go, oh, this is a thing. And then you start trawling through and starting to see some company names cropping up quite a lot and thinking, hmm, we are now becoming the unofficial women's group for that company. That's interesting. So we kept it really tight and we just got really curious about the problems. And then about six months in, we launched the smallest manual pilot. So that was a day, well, it's a month program but it's one day in person. And then we thought, how can we make the rest of it online so it works around the schedules of these incredibly busy women and tried that. And we ran seven cohorts last year. And probably the first five, we iterated each one quite a lot. As you'd know, the great thing about running things manually is you can change them on a dime. So we moved some things around, we removed some stuff. And then by the end of the year, I think we felt we had the magic. We felt, and we had the data to support that. We took a lot of data in. We're data-led people. And so by the end of it, we could actually point to some tangible results, both for organizations and the woman in them. So that's led us here where we can go, okay, we kind of know the ingredients. We've got a good audience now. How do we now turn that into the next, next scalable thing? So that's sort of underway now. And it's taking all of that same stuff and extending it over a year because I don't know if you've been to any conferences or courses in your life, but those one and done things are amazing. And then you go back into day-to-day life and it gets in the way and you forget all that great stuff you learned. So we're like, if we could extend this out over a year and turn professional development into a practice rather than a one-off, we can do that with technology. So we're hobbling together a couple of tools to start, but the experience will be pretty slick and a year long with a community and micro learning and action-based philosophy, it's going to be pretty exciting to see where that gets to. Awesome. And we'll be back in a moment to talk growing the business, changing the face of leadership and what's next. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world. 
as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today. Welcome back to Business is Boring. So, yeah, I mean, that idea of it not being a one and done, I love that. Is there's this great idea about um, any kind of mentoring or advice it needs to be deep and contextual, right? And you've got to have the people who you're working with and you know them more and their constraints and their abilities and the network effects of the other people in the cohort start to kick in. Like, that's, that's lovely. Like, tell me a little bit about that network because it feels like that's one of the really key things here, right? And that if you are isolated in a very male organisation, having other women of your level and one level above or around you to help you navigate all those steps? couple threads to pick up on there. One, one industry that is really getting this right is the fitness industry. And if you think it's actually kind of similar emotional barriers as it relates to us wanting to be um, fitter or healthier, and it's the concept of self-improvement and professional development is no different. We want to innately develop as humans. And so the fitness industry and all of these um, tech companies and apps now have figured this out in tapping into real behavioral science and how do we get people to change their mindset around exercise? How do we get to change their mindset around food and develop better habits? And that's daily engagement. So they do it through micro learning um, around food and around exercise. They do it with a coach and they do it with a community. Professional development's really no different. So we're taking those ingredients. Effectively, we've done them that in a manual. We've delivered those three ingredients in a manual way for power sessions. Now we're spreading it out in a digital way. Um, So that's the first thread, I suppose, to pick up on. But the second is that you're right in that, particularly in male-dominated industries, but did you know actually in every industry, women are less networked than men? And that is because um, many of us are still um, taking on unpromotable tasks at work. We're still managing household um, workloads as well. And so we have less time at work. Many of us are navigating uh, work hours around be it childcare or caring for aging parents. And so we don't have those uh, we, I suppose we don't have the privilege of going to network events or um, being in the space where you can make those connections. And so all, on the whole, we are less networked. Um, but we also know that community and networks are really powerful in supporting. doesn't necessarily have to be mentor, which is what you painted out. However, um, certainly learning from those that have gone before us um, is incredibly important. Um, but yeah, so I suppose Power Suit and the platform is really fostering that network that these are things that we just simply didn't even have access to, um, in addition to changing the mindset around who am I as a leader, how am I showing up to work um, as a leader, and really embracing that and my unique strengths, um, and then having access to advice as well. Are there things you do to get the organisations to really value this work that these leaders are doing, and to help them move up and be rewarded for this extra work? That's a really interesting question. I think we, we're sort of attacking it in a couple of ways. And someone asked us a while ago, what about all these organizations that are just paying lip service to this, that they just want to be seen to be supporting women? And we're like, great, we don't care what their motivations are. We can take care of the rest of it. So I think the way we attack it is a couple of ways is firstly, if you build up sort of that network effects, if you have a couple of women in an organization who have the same philosophy and know they're backed by 
eventually, well, hopefully soon, millions of other women who are also power suitors. And so that kind of comes with a big power, right? When suddenly you're not the only woman executive on the team, you are a woman executive with a million women behind you and a philosophy that means something. So that's sort of the coming at it from a network side. From the other side is professional development has often been seen as almost a perk. And it is especially, I'm going to say, almost weaponized against women of, oh, we won't promote you, but we'll throw some more money at your professional development, which is a real tension here. Um, but if we we as tech people and data people don't think it's a perk, we think it's an investment. And so if we can actually prove results, then organizations should pay attention. Because frankly, like we know organizations with diverse leadership teams outperform. It is kind of odd that that knowledge has not been reflected. So I think we know it sort of in an intelligent or intellectual statistical level, but we don't know it yet. So if we can keep giving organizations those triggers, so quarterly reports that show some of the big themes coming from our community, some of the biggest asks, the biggest challenges, the quiet quitting phenomenon, which is such a hidden risk to businesses that women are leaving. And we've had 130 people through our pilot, the number of women who are considering leaving or actively looking, and the organization will never know that the reason is they feel unsupported. So being able to feed back that real data to organizations to show impact, hopefully will start to drive the change from both sides. And and a bit, at, in all honesty, at the moment, we've got some fantastic organizations who have, you know, for a very early stage startup, have actively put their hands up and said, we back this. We know we need to do something. We don't know how to do it. We're just going to take a punt with you guys and see what happens because it's got to be better than doing nothing or doing an in-house program that's distracting us or putting the woman in charge of running the in-house program, which is not always ideal in terms of unpromotable work. And, and what kind of results are you seeing there? Oh, okay. <laughs> so we, um, we, throughout the month of the pilot, um, we take – Every week we do a survey to, well, a couple of quick questions. So what we found is there's two big numbers and 90% of our participants have experienced an improvement and often a large improvement across all of communication, feedback, conflict and relationship management and time management. So that's from their personal development. They, they see that as a real change in just a month. And then from an organizational side, which I think is even more interesting for people thinking about putting, you know, a couple of hundred dollar investment in a woman they're probably already paying $100,000 to every year, is that their engagement and motivation levels, 80% report quite an increase in that. And that's even just the signaling of I want to invest in you is sometimes just the start of that. But also one of the things we do, so we're very much action focused and being in control. So one of the risks when you're talking about women and professional development and all this sort of stuff is it can feel like it's about bagging on men or blaming the system, whereas we're like, great, the system exists. Like, let's not focus too much on that. What can we control? So quite often when you've been in an environment and you're the first or only for a long time, it can feel kind of hopeless. Whereas if you start to learn some real easy actions and start to roll them out, so putting your hand up in the meeting or having a hard conversation with your manager, you actually start to see an impact quite quickly. So that can start to lead to that increased motivation and engagement because you're starting to actually change the story in your head and change how people respond to you at work. Oh, wow. And going through this process kind of for the second time, 
What's been easier and what's been harder for you two as founders? Well, I'd have to say the hardest thing is going back to doing every single thing yeah. on our own. That <laughs> yeah. is so painful coming out of Hatch with a team of 70, <laughs> where we were um, really just able to focus on our superpowers. We're now actually having to do everything. And I mean everything. So um, yeah, that that has been really hard. I'll tell you what's really easier um, although I, I know that Rowan Simpson at one point said, um, when I said to him, we're not going to make any of the mistakes that we did make with Hatch, because naturally you make a number of them as as first-time founders and, um, you know, in, in terms of growing that business. And he said, oh, no, you'll just make new ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels as though we are really navigating things on our terms this time and your first time that you run or the first couple times that you run and grow a business um, I don't know. There's something about actually going, we are seasoned now and we are making, we are calling all the shots and this is on our terms. And when we need funding, we will dictate when we need funding. And we also, I mean, everything down from uh, hiring practices, I think we've got those because people are so critical and those first few people are so critical. We will get those right this time. I mean, a whole host of things, everything from um, the platforms that we choose and how we collect data and recognizing the value of a business ultimately at the end, it's smart to make those decisions up front. What's the difference going into Australia? Because you're already looking to start your first cohorts going there. Hey, is there um, you know, a very similar environment? Is uh are things better in Australia? <laughs> you have fingers crossed it's better somewhere. Well, we'll report back on that one. So we are only just setting uh, our landing in Australia on International Women's um, Day week, which is really exciting. And we are going to focus very much on trans-Tasman organizations, so those that are not only based in New Zealand, but equally in Australia. So that will be a bit of a soft landing, we hope, um, looking to meet some really fantastic people and learn just that, Simon. However, we did take a trip um, to the U.S. in September, and the problems are universal, and they're shared by millions of women around the world. They feel very much alone, they feel isolated, and they are just looking for a community that has their back, that can help them navigate the unique challenges that they genuinely are facing every day. When we first started this thing, we were like, well, hang on a sec, isn't this like solved? Like you'd think this whole gender thing is solved. It isn't. You and and you go talk to any people people and they'll go, Oh no, no, we've got all the programs. <laughs> we love people people, but it's like, oh no, we've got all these great programs. It's like, well, your women are joining us in droves. This is not solved in the way, again, with these unique eating ingredients tangible things that they can do every day to flip the tables and put themselves back in control. So we, I suppose, again, universal problem. We know that very much we validated in the US. Um, they feel the same, which is an incredible, obviously, market and opportunity. But the the focus on Australia is similar time zones for this MVP that we're, we're set to launch in March. Um, and um, that, that's, that will be our, we'll report back. That'll be our first foray, a <laughs> global foray. And where do you see this going? Like, what does a world look like with power suit at full at full stretch? I, again, hilarious question, because the first couple of times we mentioned that we were building a women's leadership platform, there was a couple of blank stares and a few, 
isn't that quite a niche market and a few assumptions that we were giving back? And we see this being a billion dollar company. We see it being a global platform. And the way I articulate it to people now is you walk into a meeting room, you open your laptop and you have a power suit sticker on and people sit up and pay attention because they know you've got the backing of this global network and you've got the tools and the skills to navigate the system and you are confident in your abilities and you are here and you are serious about what you're doing. So for us, that's a massive impact. Secondly, I think maybe more personally is just back to that, isn't it a niche company or a niche audience? Last year, we saw the impacts of, I mean, I don't know if everyone's aware of this, but women already control 85% of global spending. We are an economic superpower. It's just not reflected in how much of it we earn. And so watching, you know, the Taylor Swift's and Beyonce's and football teams and rugby teams of the world and the world starting to sit up and, and Barbie and pay attention to the fact that women as an audience is a thing. And I think we're still not quite there. So I see this really fun side effect for us of in five years' time, or 10 years time, however long it takes for people to look back and just sort of smile at this really naive time we live in now where we kind of don't see this incredible opportunity, which is also, I think, from our perspective, like how great to be able to see it before other people see it. Yeah, it's it's extraordinary, isn't it? The financial power, like it's always been the household spend, uh, and then the power going wider, things like women's sports having much larger audiences than men's sports and people kind of going, oh gosh, how do we monetize this? (laughs) Exactly. And I think just on that note, one of the real considerations with PowerSuit is we are not anti-men. And just as a clarification as well, in this network, we will be welcoming male allies because we think this, this is not a woman's problem to solve. This is all of our problem to solve because, I mean, there's two men in the room now. You you are under very similar constraints to us in a different way. Being the primary caregiver is not a thing that is set up in society. I still remember when my niece was born, neither her father or my father could take her and change her nappy because there's no changing rooms in male toilets. And all of those things, we're all part of the same system. And we have met so many incredible men who want to join this. And so for us, it's about being really inclusive and there are different solutions for different groups, but how can we all work together in different ways to really attack this thing? And I think there is a, we recognize there is a role for all of us in this and it's going to be uncomfortable at times and it's going to be a bit messy and we're going to have to have some challenging conversations. But if we can create a really safe space to do that and recognize all those things are going to be true, that is how we actually lead to change rather than this kind of awkward avoidance that we sometimes go to when we're dealing with some of these sort of less comfortable topics. Totally. Well, how can people get into the conversation? I mean, start with the podcast, but like (laughs) how can people kind of join up, you, you know, the community in the absolute way, but also as supporters, as people who want to be along for the journey? Well, it's all going to happen on the membership network, which is launching on March 20th. You can check it out, powersuit.com. We haven't, we won't launch until International Women's Day, which is on March 8th. Um, And um, that's where we will be having these conversations. And so absolutely sign up to the newsletter. You'll get an incredibly insightful and action-based knowledge hit every Wednesday into your inboxes. And same thing with the podcast. Um, But the network is where everything's going to be happening. And that's coming in March, powersuit.com. Awesome. And as a final thought... What will success be for you two personally out of 
power suit? I don't know. There's probably two things. One is, I think, and I'm just going to be bold about this, we want to make a lot of money out of this business. And I think it's really important to state that as women, coming from an investing background as well, that we should be loud and proud about making money. And if we're asking women to back themselves in their careers, money is one of the key parts of economic empowerment and having the ability to have free choice over our lives. So I think we have to have a really strong line in the sand about that. Whether or not there is a community ownership element would be very interesting to us. So we're all growing together. Very, very cool. So I think that, and I think what the biggest lesson we learned from Hatch and the biggest win that drove us was seeing that meaningful change. Like if we can die at 120 and lie back and think we actually changed that gender leadership gap in some way. I mean, what what more could you wish for? And then we have fun along the way. Yeah. I think we're both like very fixated on having a good time along the way. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say household name, but it's, it's going to be a workplace name, isn't it? It's going to be a global workplace name. Love mm. it. I love that idea of if you're creating value, capture the value, and then that money that yeah. you make out of that, that's agency. It's power, yeah. right? Yeah. And can I just say we'll be back on this podcast in a year's time with an update. Yeah, love, <laughs> that's oh, success. Like, like, love, love to have that. Maybe, um, yeah. That's a threat, not we'll, an offer. We'll do, we'll, we'll do a crossover, like so into it. Um, love it. Well, thank you so much for joining and can't wait to see where you take it from here. Thanks. That's Kristen Lundman and Natalie Ferguson of PowerSuit. Kelda. So thank you to Nat and Kristen for coming in, to you for listening, and for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Te Butler. If you like what we do, do rate and leave a review. In Nohora. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.